Hi, I'm Tommy. And I'm Ryan. And welcome to Joni Jams. The only podcast going album by album through Joni Mitchell's entire discography. Today, we're reviewing Joni's album from 1975, The Hissing of Summer Lawns. Hissing Summer Lawns. This is one of my favorite Joni albums. Oh my gosh. You sound so enthusiastic when you say that. (laughs) I'm trying to put more character into it. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. I love this album as well. Amazing. We're kind of exiting actually your period of Joni albums, aren't we? No, I actually like the next three a lot. I like um, Hissing, I like Hajira, and I like Mingus, and Don Juan's Reckless Daughter, too. I was like, okay, Sneak, trying to get rid of Don Juan's, trying to act like it doesn't exist. We love that album, besides the cover. Do we love that? I think there's a lot more in that besides the cover, but yes. Well, I consider, like, her era post, like, Hajira, I consider those my albums, like Don Juan's, Mingus, those 80s albums then you the 90s are more you again really you don't like the 90s albums as much right well I, I do mean, like but but I feel like you like them more than I do yeah besides taming the tiger I think we like that one I think we like that one like about the same I love taming the tiger kitty kitty <laughs> <laughs> lead balloon oh I love lead balloon okay we're getting sidetracked yeah. um let's talk about the hissing of summer lawns so um this album came after her biggest and most successful album, Court and Spark. And um, shockingly, well, actually not shock. I mean, I guess surprisingly, this album was not as well received as Court and Spark in um, a lot of ways. <laughs> Which is really upsetting. And it's it's so weird because now it feels like every publication has gone through this reassessment and it's apparently a 10 to everyone. But the one publication that hasn't changed its opinion on this is Rolling Stone. I mean, I don't know if they put they put this on the 500 albums list. I don't think they did. They did. Did they? they did. Okay, they did. But like still, they still give it like a mixed review today, which is weird. Not okay. It's not okay at all. I just think this is like one of her more inaccessible albums. I, I think like when I started going through Joni's discography, I kind of couldn't get into this one at first. But now I'm like, how did I not like this? See, I find this to be one of her more accessible ones. So I guess that's, you know, different. Like I would, fi- I find something like Mingus to be very inaccessible. Yeah. I mean, I definitely found Mingus to be inaccessible too. But like when I heard the jungle line at first, after hearing Blue, I was just like, wow, this is diverging too much from the Joni I like. Well, I was thinking about that. So like, it's kind of odd if, you- I mean, like, you know, we talk about now, like how like the fans really started turning away from her, or, like a lot of her like bigger audience. And if yeah. you think about it, though, they kind of were justified in a little bit of a way because the Joni that they knew, like, if you think about it, like, think about, like, Blue, and then all of a sudden they're listening to this album, this new Joni Mitchell album, and they hear the Jungle line. They were probably like, what the fuck? Like, what is this? Yeah. <laughs> That's you crazy. Know? But it goes back into how she says she's, like, a musical explorer. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I promote the exploration. I'm just saying that, like, it's not unexpected that people who like her for a specific style would suddenly start veering away once she changed her style it's understandable it happens with a lot of artists you know yeah once you definitely switch, once you switch up you're going to change kind of um your audience appeal you know yeah she goes from being a girl with an acoustic guitar to having like a whole backing band and getting into jazz which is really why i love this record a lot and the character studies too like it's so much less personal than like blue but it's still just as good lyrically 
Oh yeah, yeah. It's it's definitely no longer inward, and it's looking towards the outside world, which is probably why I think less people liked it because I think people love introspective Joni. Um. Oh, that's another thing that the LA Express is also back. They're yes. back here. Um. John Guerin is so a focal point of this album because he's literally in every single fucking article I read. It's like John Guerin was here. John Guerin. So he's also you know plan his way around and um you know Joni has said about this album that you know because court and spark it was a lot more structured and this is the album where she started letting the band get a little bit more loose a little bit more experimental um i guess a little bit more jazz and you can hear that sound throughout the entire album yeah you really can it's really it's really crazy like where the band goes with this because i think they're outside of the lyrics it's my favorite part of this i love like the instrumentation how it's arranged yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, what are your thoughts on Joni during this time period? Um, I feel like she starts to become a little bit of a different person during this time period. I'm not sure if it's because of a certain white substance, but <laughs> I'll let you be the judge of that. I mean, yeah, lyrically, she's the same. I don't know. I mean, I do know a bit about her personal life. It seemed really chaotic at the time. And I think she starts spiraling a little bit here. I think yeah. a, a lot of it's because of like the amount of fame she receives during Court and Spark. And then even, I mean, we can talk about even after this too, where she goes on the hissing tour for like two weeks and she abandons it afterwards, like not even halfway through. So it did not seem like a lot was going well for her. And it, drug addiction definitely probably played a big part in that. Yeah. But hey, we got some of her best songs out of it. I was going to say, you know, was it worth it? Because then we got Hajira and it's like, you know. A complete masterpiece. Well, I next week, you're, I'm going to be orgasming just the entire episode. <laughs> it's just going to be a full episode of me being like, oh my God. Yes. Um, I can't wait to talk about Hajira. I know, but I'm really excited to talk about this album too. Um, So this album is interesting because I think that there's a lot of ways to interpret it. I'm not going to call it a concept album because then I'm going to get everyone tackle me. Yeah, everyone's going to cancel <laughs> me. Um, But there's definitely a lot of concepts and kind of underlying messages going on. I'm wondering like what ones you feel like you see like in this. Definitely so much about like American society and women and their autonomy in life. Like I feel like whenever I've listened to this album, I've always realized it was a commentary on America or like the American dream and stuff or consumerism. But when I re-listened the past week, I noticed so much about how fed up she seemed with how much um hate women get or just like yeah. their place in society. What about you? Yeah, I see a lot of feelings about, which I hadn't, I agree, I hadn't seen those as much before, but there's definitely a lot of themes about women liberating themselves. And I think that it makes sense because during this time period, we are around, you know, the women's liberation movement. We're around um, Roe versus Wade, you know, yes. um, which now I guess, you know, has been overturned. Whatever. Yeah, whatever. We're not going to get into that. Um, so we're kind of this time about women sort of socially coming forward and deciding to make their own stance in society. And I think that she talks a lot about that. Um, I agree with the, you know, American consumerism is totally a huge theme, kind of these ideal lives that America seems to portray, but underneath there's something dark. I was going to say that like this album has a, has a, has a Hollywood glaze over it. I think it's intentional. Mm -hmm. She has this Hollywood glaze over it with the music and some of the like singing, but then underneath it rests this like dark, dark kind of 
I don't know, this dark feeling that I can't really describe. I don't know. Yeah, it has a lot of dark themes to it, especially like when you look at the album cover, it's so bright and like it's like comes right at you. Then the music inside of it is like so dark lyrically. I mean, even the instruments aren't eerie to me or anything like they were on Song to a Seagull or like Blue with some of those songs. They're like kind of optimistic here almost or like they're comforting. But then the lyrics are like she's tearing the entire the entirety of American society apart. Yeah, I actually, I picked up some interesting things I've read um, review-wise about it. These are not my words, but um, (laughs) I'm just so so I don't get sued. Um, I didn't mark down who said them. So, you know, if you want to find that out, look up what I say. Um, So some of the quotes I found about this album were, this album documents the lives of an endangered species that knows little of the world beyond its own. And then it goes on to further describe it as the indigenous tribes people of America suburbia, which is... I think really true. I think that's so true about this. Album. And then this is um, a cool I know it's beautiful. And then the second one that I thought was cool was the hissing of summer lawns is many things. It's an exclusive peek behind the curtain of palm trees. That's protect that's protected the super wealthy and the super bored. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. There are I a really lot of like bored those people. This album yeah. is bored, boredom. Some people are so bored. <laughs> I also like what she says about the album, how she says, like, um, she says, like, the record is a total work conceived graphically, musically, lyrically, and accidentally as a whole. I think that's so cool, because as you were saying, how, like, she gave the Ballet Express free range of where to go on here. It feels like it's its own Joni album. Like, it's nothing like anything else she'll ever do after this or before this. So, like, the word accidentally is just such a great word to use. And it makes, like, the lure around this, the lure around this album so mysterious to me. Oh yeah. And and the one thing about jazz music is that it's very accidental in a lot of ways because you're playing very off the cuff. And I think that that definitely is why she probably refers to this as more of an accident rather than like a preconceived idea. Um, but yeah, I, I've, I've always thought that like, you know, this album is just kind of going behind that gate and seeing, you know, deeper issues in marriage and, you know, sex and fame and cultural nuances and some cultural um things that (laughs) are not so great that she mentions (laughs) um, which we'll get to um that's another thing we probably should mention just in the what the preface that there's some offensive language on this album (laughs) yeah especially okay like there's three songs where you'll see it the most it's the jungle line it's um don't air for the sorrow and the boho dance and we're not going to make any excuses for what Joni says. I mean, no. and we're not going to get into the language we, she, like she uses. I don't think it's appropriate for us to be saying those words. But just know that if you're going to listen to this album, there are some moments of discomfort within the lyrics. So just be forewarned. Forewarned. Yeah. God, I'm like stuttering so much. You're nervous. Yeah. Um, she makes I me def- nervous. She does. She starts <laughs> getting very scary on this album. Oh, this album does start the cultural question, you know, issues. Um. I would say it's actually kind of funny. I was listening to this song or to this album in the car with my friend one time. Um, my poor friends, they make them listen to Joni Mitchell. They want to kill me. Um, and um, and I remember the boho dance came on and it started and I was like, okay. And then I remembered what was about to happen. And so I changed the song. I was like, no, we're not gonna. We're not gonna do that today. We're Think not about this right thing. now. Yeah, and they were like, "Why did you change the song?" And I was like, "It's, it's hard to explain." 
very hard to explain. Yes. Um. Do you want to go on to something easier to explain, as in the artwork on this album? I can. I guess actually, yeah. no. It's kind of hard to explain, isn't it? It is hard to explain, but the I think it's like, what is it supposed to be? Like five indigenous men sneaking like a snake into suburbia. I think it goes along with the the album title really well. The one thing that's like, I mean, this doesn't have to do with the cover necessarily, but I really like the title of this album because I think it's supposed to mention like the irrigation systems or like sprinklers and like lawns on suburbia because of how they sound like a snake, which is why it's called the hissing of summer lawns. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, sprinklers are like the hissing. (laughs) I really like how LA is supposed to be in the background. And I think if you look on the back of this cover, Joni's house is supposed to be one of the ones on, um, the line somewhere like the front line it's like the blue one right yeah it's a little blue one yeah yeah i think it's cute i love this cover it's actually one of my favorite covers of all of her albums me too it's really graphic and oh i should say obviously it's made by her she like painted it and stuff um but it's really cool um i should also mention that the so something really interesting that we both found out was that this cover was these, um, the people carrying the snake are actually based on a real photo taken by National Geographic showing um, an Amazonian indigenous tribe carrying a giant snake through the forest. Well, I guess it was more of through like a wetlands, but it was a forest. Um, and the whole yeah. story was covering how they were building a highway near this kind of undisclosed tribe that was in the middle of the woods and it was kind of this almost like big yellow taxi-esque idea of like paving paradise and I think that she sort of was so drawn from that idea that she decided to put these figures kind of heading into the city you know onto the cover and it's very it's very jarring it's a there's something dark about it I can't describe it but like there's just something like kind of eerie going on like this big snake going into this like whatever looks like picturesque city I don't know yeah I think it's cool how she connects that to all these um flaws in American values at the time I think it's like really great symbolism for that I'm just not sure what the entire connection of it is you know like I think like we both were saying that we're kind of confused about the album cover I just I'm not sure entirely what it's supposed to mean yeah um I think it probably relates most if you were to like what song does this really relate to it probably is specifically for the jungle line I guess yeah I was gonna say the jungle line um like well I think of the lyrics on the jungle line how they talk about like drooling for the taste of something smuggled in and this almost looks like that's what's happening like some sort of like thing is being smuggled into the city I don't know that's what I was thinking but I might be wrong um can we please Please talk about the gatefold of this of this album. Oh my gosh, yes, the picture of Joni in the pool, and then there's all like the text of her like giving a debriefing of the album almost to write <laughs> like over it. That's such a beautiful picture of her. Like the entire hissing photo shoot. There's a bunch. I encourage people that like haven't seen the gatefold to look it up and to like just look up the entire hissing of Summer Lawn's photo shoot because there's so many like beautiful pictures of her in a pool. Yeah, um, Norman Seif, <laughs> her like. they continually collaborate throughout her career but he took those beautiful photos of her she's just like lounging in the blue pools like and it's just oh it's gorgeous and it totally fits this idea of the album of this like behind this gated community there she rests like swimming in her pool like carefree (laughs) looking snatched it's so california-esque yeah 
Oh, this album is very like summer California vibe. Don't cancel me for saying this, but like the way oh. she like talks about American society in this is kind of like it reminds me of how Norman is kind of like similar with like the beautiful instrumentation, everything in the background, and then also like the lyrics that kind of talk about the society. Anyways, um, <laughs> I don't know about that, but you know, sure, I'll give you that. Um, yes, it's you know, I don't know, I. I really do love the artwork on this album. I think it perfectly fits whatever vibe she's trying to come up with. I don't know 100% what it means, but it fits the vibe. And yeah, um, yeah do you want to start getting into the the short? It's actually one of her shorter track lists, only 10, which is short. Only 10 songs. Yeah. Yeah. In France, on, in France, with They Kiss on Main Street starts this album, and it's another great Joni Mitchell opener. Mm-hmm. Um, It's so, it's such like a, like jazz rock anthem and it's really accessible i don't know this song peaks at like number 67 i think on billboard and i'm surprised it wasn't a bigger hit at the time just because of how addicting it is to listen to yeah it's pretty accessible i think it's accessible but i think it's also very vintage (laughs) and its quality has a vintage quality to it like of these rock and roll days sort of feeling and i think that maybe america at that point was not interested in going back and they were more interested in you know the new kind of rock sound um it's true but yeah it's such a jazzy and i said vibrant it's so colorful and vibrant and like it really draws you in you're like oh what's going on and it it it's a really great opener i actually though think that if you were you were to read this album as a concept album which what the fuck ever i if it's not it's not no one cares this album is like before you go behind those gates. It's like you're like in this ideal world, you know, in France, they kiss on Main Street and it's all happy and stuff. And then suddenly once you enter the jungle line, that's when shit starts getting like deep and you're going into like the underbelly. Yeah, that's a really cool way to look at the album as a concept story. I mean, yeah. you definitely see a lot of character studies on this, and I feel like it kicks off with this being, I don't, I mean, I'm not sure entirely if this is a character study, just because I think it also, Joni uses so many elements of her childhood to, like, talk about this song or introduce into it, which is why it reminds me about, like, a lot of, like, Roy's dad's Cadillac and a bunch of her other songs that kind of, like, recount her childhood. So, um... Who's, who's yeah. dad's Cadillac? Ray's, isn't it Ray's? Oh, Ray's. Ray's. You said why Roy's. I say Roy's. I know. I <laughs> who's Roy? I don't know. Roy's a Ray's brother. Okay. Okay. Um. Oh yeah. Well, Joni did love. Joni is a known lover of dancing to rock and roll music. She'll tell you. Oh yeah. Interview. All about it. She used to sneak out of her house to do it. <laughs> yeah, she loved dancing to rock and roll, and I could totally see her being one of these girls in like a rock and roll dance hall, like in those push-up brasiers type also- dresses. <laughs> It, I think it's so interesting that Graham Nash, James Taylor, and David Crosby do the background voices on this album with her. I mean, on this album, just on this song. It's so funny because, like, all three of them are her exes at this point, and then her boyfriend's doing the drums. How'd she get that to happen? <laughs> She's crazy. That was, How'd like, crazy that? of her. Like, <laughs> what was she... Why was she doing that? Like, she was doing the most on that. She really was. I like a lot of the lyrics on this song, too. Like, they've been broken in churches and schools and molded to middle-class circumstance. I think that's such a, a cool line. Oh, yeah. I love I love the lyric. Um, 
kissing in the back seat, thrilling to the Brando like things that he said. That's so like so 50s to it because it's definitely referencing like old movies and like Marlon Brando and, you know, that sort of like romantic bad boy almost vibe. I know in the Shadows and Light tour, she uses videos um, like when she like has videos playing over the song, she uses um things from Rebel Without a Cause, which I think makes sense. Oh, she, she does? Uses. Yeah. Oh, I didn't even know that. Oh, yeah. Big Shadows and Light fan over here. <laughs> Another thing I really like about this is how um a lot of the, in- not all, 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 all the instruments come in when she says rock and rolling. Like there's a little electric guitar solo right after those lines. So I think it like adds to the vintage quality that you were talking about from the 50s. And I also like how every verse starts with downtown. Like it's always location, downtown, my darling dime store thief the dance halls, the cafes, and the pinball arcade. I think that's so cool because like you're going along on this adventure with the the singer. Yeah, yeah. It's like you're like going along the town with her at this like nighttime. I don't know though. What what does in France they kissed on Main Street mean? What does that mean? Well, I was thinking like the more I thought about it, the more I realized is America is a very conservative um, place to live. And it's very religious, too. And not to say that Europe isn't, but France is like this beacon of love in the world where it's like everyone that goes there, it's like the town to be in love or something. Mm-hmm. So I think it's her basically saying that in France, like you can outwardly display affection with people without getting judged. But like here in the 70s, if you were to like kiss someone, people would probably judge you for it or they'd just be like, you know, get a room. Yeah, <laughs> maybe that's what it is. Maybe she's know. relate. Maybe she's relating the like dance halls, like the rock and roll dance halls, or like car back seats. Those are the places where you can be like in France, like you can show yeah. open um open um romantic romantic expression. That's such a yeah. old way, <laughs> romantic expression. Like you okay, can't be vulnerable mom. with people in public. I guess I would never be vulnerable with people in public now. I know, even in private. I, even in <laughs> private. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. I mean, this is a side note. I am in a very safe area, like where gay people are very accepted, but I still would not feel comfortable like kissing a guy in public. Oh yeah, definitely. That's why I think I relate to this song too. Like, I don't even think I'd be like comfortable holding my hands with another guy in public just because, I don't know, the chance of being hate crimed is so large. (laughs) Wait, have you never like held your hands with your boyfriend in public? I have. We just, I don't know. We do want when we're on campus, but it's also just kind of scary because there's been like instances where people have gotten hate crime. So Damn. sometimes it's just a little, yeah, just discomforting to walk around like that. In France, they don't hate crime on Main Street. They don't. They love <laughs> the gays there. I don't know if that's, <laughs> I don't know if that's true. I might've just made that up. Um, But yes, it's very, very interesting um do you want to go on to the next track of this album which is uh, i don't even know where to start (laughs) i don't know where to start either this is well interesting tidbit about this song this is the first instance of um sampling in mainstream music on the jungle line i mean obviously it had been kind of experimented with before in prior years but Joni's like the first person i think in mainstream music that actually uses a sample so and who was it? Dork was saying uh, she did a cover of the boho dance, but she was also talking about the jungle line. And she was saying that this is one of the songs that like still sounds so modern or like something that someone would do today. And I agree. Oh, wow. It's so ahead of its time, at least the sound, maybe not the lyrics, but the sound. <laughs> maybe not the lyrics. Yeah. No, the sound is so 
it's so past when it was made like you i i i barely can believe that this was made in the 70s because this is so yeah and it's this is something though if you really think about it this is something like i see bjork getting influenced by this i hear yeah i see bjork i see arca i see a lot of those like alternative girls what's that bjork song on um homogenic at the end that's like really like oh pluto yeah i see an i feel like they kind of are similar (laughs) in a way i definitely see that now that you mention it yeah or like it also um, is like oh what are you saying sorry like what's the opener i'm a fasora like atopos or something oh yeah atopos like similar yeah it's definitely similar to it i think it's also cool because it's like it's world music and this is she's one of the first artists that really do like integrates that into their own music and it reminds me a lot of what paul simon does on graceline and the rhythm of saints and those two albums don't come for like another 10 years and like i think when she was that interview of her saying and then Paul Simon started to copy me. <laughs> Whenever she says that, I specifically think of this album and Don Juan's Reckless Daughter because they introduced the music that he does like 10 years before. Now, <laughs> why didn't you do that in her voice? Huh? You didn't do that in her voice. I know. I don't know how to do her voice. And then Paul Simon started imitating <laughs> me. And I said, whoa, whoa, he's the imitator. <laughs> Please. <laughs> the imitator. I'm not, I'm so bad at imitations, but I wish I could do Joni's voice. I really can't. I just go into this low, like, whoa. This low register. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, oh, and we should mention, did you wait? You might have already mentioned this. Maybe I, I blacked out for a second. Um, <laughs> did, um that the drumming used on this, the sam- the thing being sampled is the um Burundi drummers, which is a group of drummers from the country of Burundi in Africa. Um, that make this world music of drumming and it's just drumming um drumming and chanting they do both of those i was listening to some of the non joni like i was listening to the actual versions of them like that don't have the jungle line over it and it's um it's very very cool very rhythmic very interesting to listen to and um i can see why joni was inspired by this obviously this is gonna prefix into like songs like the 10th world and um dreamland dreamland for sure is inspired by this um also, you know, also as offensive as this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is not necessarily a great look because, I mean, also, I don't know if we talked about this, but it also kind of is a bit of a colonialist song. Yeah. So, yeah, be wary of that if you're going to listen to this. Yeah, it kind of sounds like something that, like, you could, I, like, picture it, this is, like, something that, like, an explorer in like the 1600s would be writing about like first coming to the Americas. I feel like he would write something similar to this. It you know reminds I mean? me of Shakespeare's The Tempest. Yeah. Yeah. Like it has this like old kind of colonial vibe. I know in Dreamland, she says like Walter Raleigh and Chris Columbus come marching out of the waves. And it's, yeah, this song might as well have that lyric as well. Um and also, I should say that she shouts out Henry Russo, who is a um, 20th century painter, I guess late late 19th century, 20th century. Um, and he does all these jungle scenes, very, very beautiful jungle scenes. Um, have you ever seen his painting called The Dream? I haven't, no. Is that what this is inspired by? Oh, I don't know. But it has this beautiful, like, naked figure laying in this jungle. And then it's like all these beautiful kind of background things. Anyways, and... um. I like that she has this idea of Henry Russo going into this bar and maybe Harlem. I, yeah, do we know? (laughs) I don't know. Um, Some downtown area. 
And suddenly I think it's like Russo sitting back looking around the bar and thinking like, I would paint this here. I would paint a flower behind this woman's ear. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's really cool. I agree. I think that's, I like how she mentions Russo in it, but like, I feel like this song is so elusive and it's so ambiguous lyrically that yes. I've never really, I've really never comprehended exactly what it's about. But I mean, it, it definitely paints a picture just like Russo. Like, I don't know. If, if, if it's a song about an artist, I feel like it's very ambiguous and it's also like how an artist probably thinks. Yeah. Um, also, it's a very dark song. There, it it's, is. It's like, it has this dark quality. And that's why I say that this song introduces this like darker vibe to the album because like suddenly we're not like kissing on Main Street and dancing to this like jazz rock music. Suddenly we're in this more like, I don't know, the way she sings it. She has this like, I don't know. Do you know like her voice? Like when she sings it, it's different. It is. It's it's in a, in a almost lower register, and it's also so distinct from the head voice she uses on her earlier albums or the nasal thing. Like this is such like a one eighty for her, <laughs> in like every sense imaginable. Like oh yeah, yeah. When we talk about abandoning her audience, like everything in this song is so different from the normal Joni song. Yeah, and I think a lot of critics didn't like this song originally. Yeah, which I mean, I understand why they didn't like it at first, but. Like now we listen to it and I feel like like York said this could come out today and it would sound modern. Yeah, maybe or maybe not modern, maybe like a little dated, but it's, it would sound like pretty up to date. Exit the lyrics of it and yes, I'll give that to you. Exit the lyrics, exactly. Yeah, I mean, yeah, some of the lyrics I marked down some of the ones. Um um I really don't know why she says through huts through Harlem. I like equating that those are the same thing, I don't know um heart of dixie blues mm, no yeah no we do not use that word girl um savage progress uh no we don't really use that word either so there's just he something... sounds like a bad anthropologist <laughs> yes a very bad anthropologist <laughs> yes um it's very eurocentric a very eurocentric view of people of other cultures and um i don't know i'm not really not really into that. Um, also, a lot of use about kind of drug use in the song. Like she was, she was trying to cut James Taylor's head off again. I guess you know, like they're drooling <laughs> for the taste of something smuggled in. Um, you know, poppy poison. Like, isn't that supposed to be heroin? Isn't poppy usually considered? I think heroin? so. Yeah. Um, what about when she says "coy" and "bitchy"? <laughs> <laughs> like that's what i mean when i don't know what she's saying on this song she's She's going everywhere yeah i the lyrics are just so (laughs) they're definitely very questionable yeah um the final lyric i have written down that was questionable was chanting slaving boats yeah Um, what does that mean i'll let you guys figure whatever you think that that she's trying to say there because i think it's just straight up problematic and <laughs> nothing more than that. Oh, definitely. It definitely is. Like, I don't really see the, I don't know, the uh, poetry in that, but that's okay. Um, Would you like <laughs> to move on to Edith and the Kingpin? Yes, this is one of my favorite songs on this album. It's originally the song that got me into hissing just because of, I don't know if it's, I mean, I guess it's one of the more accessible ones. It's more accessible than the Jungle Line. But I like the instruments on it a lot. Um, it starts with a piano, I think. And then, like, there's, like, little horns that, like, 
glimmer throughout the song at first then they're like fully added and it makes it really cool and I like that the concept of the song supposedly it's about like a kingpin that comes to town like it's another character study and she builds so much tension in the song like and I love the way she describes things like you she could just say like he sees Edith but instead of saying like he sees her he holds her in his like eye yes it's so poetic well, she said that this song was about a Vancouver a Vancouver pimp that she met, which why was she meeting a Vancouver pimp? I have no idea. Um, and then also a little bit is in reference to Edith Piaf, who is a Edith Piaf is one of my heroes. Um, so, yes, heroes. one of her heroes, um, <laughs> Edith Piaf. Interesting kind of connection. I don't know what makes her think that a pimp and Edith Piaf are very close in connection, but sure. Um. And it's, I like the jazz vibe of the song. It's very relaxed and like sexy and I don't know. Me too. It is very sexy. What does that hand desire? I was like, ooh, girl, what does it desire? (laughs) (laughs) That hand's desiring a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I think it's so cool that it's like supposed to be about a pimp or a drug lord or something. And I don't know. It's just such a great song. And I saw an interpretation online. I know it's not what the song is about. But someone was saying how they think it could be about like a politician. And I was like, wow, that makes sense. I don't see it. <laughs> That's people grasping for too much. I um, what else oh, wait, what I, I love how at the beginning of the song, I love the lyric, the band sounds like typewriters. First off, that's just really interesting writing. But second off, if you've watched the Shadows and Light concert when she does this song and she does the line, the band sounds like typewriters, the band breaks in for a second. They break into a typewriting beat. They're like, she's like, the band sounds like typewriters. And then they're like, boom, boom, it sounds like a typewriter, like very like, and it's it's very like interesting. I like that. Um, another another song full of drug use talking, um, you know, tilts her tired face gently to the spoon. Now that is definitely like, what, heroin? Oh, oh yeah, heroin, because you eat heroin with the spoon. Yeah, or snow blind is probably about coke. Yeah. Yeah, drugs are getting everywhere in this idyllic (laughs) world. They're starting to creep their way in. Well, they're everywhere in the 70s, I guess. But I also like, um, what is it? There's like a little, like at the end where she does the high note, I really love that part where she's like, they dare not look away. Are you going to sing it? No, I am not gonna <laughs> sing it because I can't reach that note. You know, but... they're not look. Brian will do it. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> and I, what about how her voice does this like reverb? Which I know it's definitely not reverb, and it's just her where she's like, "And child, as they look, oh, <laughs> yes, that's so cool." And I don't know, this is one of her like higher ranges for these like albums because she, I don't think she goes this high on any of her other songs, or at least not like this in this album. Well, like, yeah, I feel like this is one of her songs where she could do it nasally again. I think she has some higher songs later on in her career. Yeah, but I don't know if it's here, because I feel like everything here is, like, much more low register. Like, especially the ending track, Shadows and Light, like, I don't hear her hitting any, like, it's not in as high of a key as this. I mean, I don't know about vocals that well. I mean, Hissing of Summer Lawns, the title track has some high notes in it. That's true. That's true. But she doesn't do it as much. I know, like, but like the darkness part, like the darkness. It sounds so good, like with with the jazz, her voice here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's very, very well done track. I really like it. Um, I don't really have like much to say about it because I really don't like 
it's one of these a lot of these songs are very ambiguous and i can't pick out really what she's trying to say i think it's just a character study song but um, it is i like it so do i it's one of my favorites yeah along with don't interrupt the sorrow yes an anthem we got an anthem right here yes i love there's so many clever lines in this one wash my guilt of eden it's like generations of women have been condemned like throughout time and place for stuff they didn't do or for like eve's mistake like this is supposed to be a creation story it's the creation story in like the hebrew bible the christian bible so it's like eve is always the one that kind of gets the brunt of the blame for everything and i think it's so interesting how she connects that to how women have been treated for like centuries Oh yeah, like women, like women take the blame of original sin. That's why people always like. That's why men throughout centuries have always said that women are like temptations because like they're just like yes, eagerly, they're yeah, they're witches, they're causers of sin. You know, which a lot of versions of the Bible don't actually say that Eve, that Eve is the one who specifically made Adam eat it. Whatever. That's sort of a more philosophical thing, but um, yeah, it's a great it's a great line like wash my guilt of eden wash and balance me um what about how she talks about like patriarchs and bible belt dreams like how like some areas of this country have this like patriarchal dream of having these subservient wives like but she's wanting to break that like i think for her she's like i am not going to be don't interrupt me like let me do my own fucking thing yeah, she does not want to conform again. <laughs> She's no. mad as fuck about it. Yeah. But yeah, I think I like how she relates it specifically to like the Bible Belt and stuff. Because I mean, I think it's pretty much all around America or like all around Western societies at this time where the nuclear family is still like this image that most people want to adhere to. So yeah, I think it's just crazy how she's saying she's not going to conform to it. And I don't think anyone else really talked about it like this in music before. Like, I don't know if anyone else really had the the guts to say something like this. And I think that's why it also received a lot of criticism was because people were afraid of what she was saying. Oh, yeah. And I, I actually, I would argue that that notion of a nuclear family is honestly, I think it's still around today. I think people still, oh, strive, people still strive for that white picket fence, like, family. Maybe it's different in the same in the way that like we view it but it's still that underlying you know root that people want to have and you know marriage and stuff but as i said like the song was you know made during a time of women's liberation women wanting to go to work women wanting to have their own lives be sexually independent um do you know what anima did you look up what that meant yeah, it's like the feminine part of a man's personality, and and then there's like also a historical and psych philosophical definition. But I don't think it matters. I don't think that's what she's saying. I think it's yeah. like the feminine part of the personality. Yeah, I think it's I think it's supposed to be that like the feminine part of a family needs to rise up to be equal to the man, which is such an interesting like, an interesting way to put it. Like who like I don't know how she even thought of that. Um, yeah, such a you know we walked the moon you be polite like that line is so funny (laughs) it's like she's really standing up to men here and i also like how there's like the acoustic guitar and a lot of percussion in it it's not as jazzy as anything else on this album but i I still think like there's um like the hints of world music and stuff but it's so driven by the lyrics which i'm i'm happy about like i feel like that's the most overt part of the song yeah um some of the lyrics 
a little problematic oh, actually yeah. not a little they are problematic um one of her lyrics a good slave loves a good book what the fuck Joni yeah. what the fuck um <laughs> no like why that no we're I just no and I don't and the, well she says a good slave loves a good book a rebel loves a cause I I don't know it's yeah, I don't know what she was trying to say here. <laughs> Regardless of, in- I mean, a lot of people will talk about intention, and a lot of like older Joni fans like to defend her for a lot of the stuff she does. But obviously, we're not going to do that. No. Here, it's like just a very distasteful thing. I don't care like what she's appearing like comparing stuff to or trying to. It just doesn't sound good at all for her, and it's just it comes off sounding really ignorant and like white savior esque. Oh so. yeah, yeah, and I honestly, I would just say that like there's a lot of older fans like you said are will defend this and they'll say well it was a different time you know it was a different time you could say you know things like this without having to worry about getting canceled but there's a lot of other artists that were working in this time that never said things like this and that knew the implications of the things that they were saying and I think that Joni sometimes as much as I love her can be very ignorant in her writing and um that's one of the nice things about doing this like podcast is that, you know, we can talk about Joni as a amazing writer, as an amazing singer, but then there's also the parts to her. I think that we're going to start talking about more in the next few albums that are very kind of uh, ignorant and, and problematic, you know, especially some of the lyrics here. I know on Don Juan's, we'll talk about the album cover, but um, I think it's important to note because in Joni Mitchell's overarching legacy, as an artist, you know, for the rest of time, I think that you can't ignore some of her problematic, you know, lyricism choices, you know, things like that. Definitely not. And it's like, even if it, like, even when people say it was a different time back then, this was still after civil rights and everything. Like you think of classic rock or like classic folk or artists working at this time, and they're supposed to be like very progressive in mindset. And this isn't progressive at all. It's very much like, almost behind its time yeah like it's it's weird for her to be referring to like slaves and things like that in such a in a song in a song about um being independent mentioning slaves feels like a complete like antithesis of what she's trying to say i don't know yeah it's definitely not a good look for her and yeah i agree we we have to hold her accountable for it because it's like everyone's human and everyone makes mistakes but still like there's no excuse for racism and there's no excuse for like ignorant language like this especially when it's i don't know being fed to like mil- like a huge audience of people yeah now don't go burn grandma's house down for this um yeah, but we're, just, down, but... we're just you know saying what it is um i will say though that i do love the lyric in this song takes a hard like mary these days when your man gets weak that's so yes. fucking funny that is <laughs> <laughs> like she's just like so unserious she's so silly here a little bit she's still playful yeah it's kind of um it's kind of how she is on talk to me it's like a similar vibe on talk to me yeah you know I mean? <laughs> um yeah but it's a really good song it's a good anthem it has a good vibe like beat you're talking about the percussion i like the percussion in it a lot um 
yeah do you want to move on to this is your song i really i'm gonna <laughs> this is Scar shades of scarlet conquering yes oh my god out of the fire like catholic saints is one of my favorite opening lines ever i see ryan doing the eye roll please <laughs> it's literally my twitter bio i think it's like a criticism of women who think that they're like very powerful or like these femme fatales but in reality they always like need a man to actually do something for them I know this book or not this book this song is like based loosely off the movie in the book about like gone with the wind so I think it's interesting because there's a lot of female characters in that specifically I forget her name but there's a woman with red hair in it I should have written her name down and I'm, I'm pretty sure 90% sure that this is who this song is about the main character Scarlett yeah, O'Hara that's who I that's the main character in Gone with the Wind Scarlett O'Hara played by Vivian Lee. Yeah, it's been a very, very long time since I've watched that movie. And that's like another like very racist movie. I've, yeah, I refuse to watch that movie. So we won't get into that. I mean, there's also like a little bit of questionable language in this song, which I'm not going to get too much into. It's not like it was on the previous songs, but there's still like some questionable things. Like, why are you saying that? Even if she's referring to like a movie or something, I still think it's a little offensive and distasteful, but um I like how it starts like it starts with the slow piano and then like slowly bass and percussion are added to it too and there's strings in like the minute and a half mark which I think adds so much to the song um what else was I gonna say about this okay out of the fire I like how it's like this woman has probably like gone through a lot and now she's escaped wherever she's been and she's trying to find like solace or peace somewhere but she's like still like iffy on that like people are still iffy about her and it seems like everywhere she goes, she causes a lot of chaos. Yeah, um, I, I, I kind of viewed this song as like she's, she's going to another place, trying to take these southern ideals with her, but these southern ideals are she's trying so hard to portray this character that it's interfering with her own life. You know, it's like these shades of Scarlett O'Hara's character are conquering this woman's life, and. She's trying so hard to live up to a standard that's not even real. No, no person is actually Scarlett O'Hara from Gone with the Wind. Um, you know, she and she's very this woman is kind of she's very naive. You know, she covers her eyes in the X-rated scenes. Um, she is kind of I don't know. She seems oh, she chases the ghost of Gable. She's chasing Clark Gable's, yeah. you know, like another Gone with the Wind actor. Like, I don't know. And also, I agree with you, the strings, they add to that cinematic movie quality to it, which I think was intentional to, like, kind of reference the movie a little bit. Yeah, like, those Southern ideals, like, mimicking tenderness, that's such a, like, an interesting way to describe her. Just from that line alone, you kind of, like, dislike her, and you get this impression that she's totally superficial or fake. So, yeah. like, it's just, like, little things. Like, I love this character study a lot. It's one yeah. of my favorites she ever does. It's a really interesting commentary on, like, a southern bell and like culture in the south you know um i think it could talk be talking a lot about how like there are some people in the south and this is a generalization so i'm not saying this is all true but at this time there's people in the south that are trying to stick true to these like roots that are kind of gone with the wind has of these like old good old days in the south like these like ideals that they had i'm not saying that they were you know what i'm you know what i mean like these like old yeah. ideas that Gone with the Wind perpetuates, like plantations and sweeping ballroom gowns, you know, these things that are dying out. And I think that this character doesn't want these things to die out. She wants to live in Gone with the Wind. She wants that 
movie, which is incredibly wrong and offensive, I must say, but that's what this girl wants, I guess. Yeah, she is a very interesting woman, a very offensive woman. What do you think about the end when she says, a woman must have everything? She speaks it, a woman must have everything. I mean, I've always like really wondered what she meant by it. I mean, Scarlett in the movie, at least, like she's a very, again, like femme fatale that tries to be someone that she's not like when she really needs like a man to do stuff for her, like she's very defenseless. So like, I don't know when she says a woman must have everything. I think it feeds back into like the whole liberation of woman in like, like the previous songs about how like they lose autonomy over themselves. They don't have equal rights. Like it, I think it feeds back into that stuff. I don't know if it's necessarily about like who Scarlett is as a person. I mean, I guess it is because Scarlett says it. But for me, I've always like interpreted it as like relating back to the previous songs about liberation. Well, it's interesting because the last song we have, the song before this is about a woman who is breaking free from patriarchal chains and becoming mm-hmm. a confident woman. And then this song is about a woman who I think wants to stay confined, if not, if not wants to become more, you know, put into a patriarchal world. I don't know. It's interesting. They're an interesting contrast. They are. I mean, now that you say that, it also reminds me of the next song a lot too, just because of like yeah. how, especially like the last line of the song after all it's a lady's choice i'm not sure if that's the last line but it's one of the last lines of the song she stays with the love of some kind it's the lady's choice yeah after all it's the lady's choice yeah um do you want to go on to that song yes i do on this side is b another yes hissing of summer lawns the title track it's another one of um her great title tracks and apparently it was written about um this 1975 visit she had in california to Jose Feliciano and his wife Jana apparently it's about their relationship because they were having like a huge difficulty in their marriage and apparently Joni befriends his wife and this is a song for her from her point of view I guess a little bit I mean I guess it's from Joni's point of view the most just because it's like she's on the outside of this relationship and she's really describing it to us of like the dynamic between them yeah she's like a um an observer of this marriage where I guess yeah it is kind of a lead-in from the last song where, you know, the character in the last song really wants to be in this relationship where she is not dominant and the man is. And then in this song, the man is the man is the dominant one. And this woman yeah. just sort of, it's kind of this transactional marriage, which I think a lot of marriages um, back then especially were. You know, if we're talking about American culture, this song completely plays into that of these like, you know, oh, a woman is kind of tied down by the man that she's married to. You know, she... She stays with him because he's financially supporting her, but in reality, she's bored. She's not happy. Um, at least that's how I read it. And I almost, I think that like, okay, this is like weird, but like, do you think that like the hissing on summer lawns remind every time the lawns hiss, it reminds her of the life that she has that she doesn't like, and that's why like it's hissing because it's like a, it's like a scary sound. She's like, oh, another day bored yeah and it's like always there it's yeah. just like a constant reminder of like not only like her passivity and subservientness but also just like the dreams like that have kind of like been crushed for her yeah. I think it's a really sad song in that sense too because they have this marriage and it's so rooted in materialism like he buys her all these things like a diamond for her throat like they have a dog and everything he gives her a pool 
like also he like builds this fence around the house and it's like a prison for her yeah and like i don't know it sounds like he's some type of evil dictator and she's just <laughs> this person that ultimately chooses to stay in the relationship yeah because she doesn't know any better i mean yeah. i guess she knows better but she's just too afraid to break out of it and it's a marriage that is you know that has it's completely her life is just darkness you know that's what those like interludes like the darkness yes. It's darkness. Can she's talk about that. Oh yes. And there's no color, no contrast. It's just darkness. I mean, and this song is dark as fuck. I, I you said yeah. sad. I think this song is like I don't know, like it's scary. It's like it's so like I don't know. You get this like I mean, she says it, there's a black fly buzzing, there's a heat wave like burning in her master's voice. Yeah. Her, master, was- her husband is her master. Like that's dark. Yeah, it is. I was going to say that's such a crazy way to describe anger or like him being so enraged and he starts yelling at her. It's like a heat wave in his voice. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like he does sound like a really scary man because he puts like on every metal floor and there's like blood on it. Girl, what? <laughs> yeah. And um, obviously the black fly buzzing is I think that that's supposed to be a metaphor because usually when there's like a a bug, like a bug is usually a metaphor for a deeper illness or like an illness to come, like a plague. And so I think that that's probably what she's implying, that this marriage is an illness upon this yes. woman. Um, but, you know, I don't, and I, the music in the song is so good. Oh my God, the band and the song just, mm, they create this soundscape that it's so cool. Yes, I love the bass on the song and I love the horns a lot too. Like the horns and the darkness combined. When she starts singing darkness in the high note, especially at the end and it starts to fade out, that's one of my favorite moments in music ever, I think. It's I get, such like, it's, Right? It's yeah. like literally perfect. Is it bad that I say everything is an orgasm? <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that part is <laughs> orgasmic. I really shouldn't say that. Oh, well. Um, it's descriptive yeah it's descriptive um <laughs> i love the beginning because the song like all of a sudden it just opens with this like boom like it has this like boom like there's this like dark seed being implanted and then it goes into her voice on this song <laughs> i always say that i love how Joni mitchell sings during this and court and spark and this song proves that magnificently yes i love her voice on this too uh yeah i love swimming in my pool listening to this song lounging i'm like it's so summery this is such a summer album i don't think we've said that yet but this album fits like it sounds even better in the summer like kajira sounds really good in the winter this is the antithesis of it because it sounds really really good in the summer when i go to california in june this is getting played i'm gonna be like on the beach like he's gonna have a hissing of summer long summer yeah i really am oh i I don't know if that's a good thing that might be a bad thing (laughs) it is i wanted a court and spark kind of summer maybe you'll get one i wanted someone to court my spark (laughs) girl (laughs) (laughs) looking for a woman okay different album um but yes i love this song and this is a great one of those like song that gives like that window behind the gates like this darker you know picture going on in these you know because on the outside it's like a happy household but then inside you know there's a room full of chippendale that nobody sits in (laughs) yeah this couple does not seem like they're having fun and i think they get divorced after this too in real life oh do they i didn't look into their marriage i was yeah 
they get divorced i think like i think within five years after the album is made so <laughs> there goes that for you Joni ruining marriages as she should as she should yeah um but yeah i i love this song um do you want to go on to down in the stand yes. in the boho zone <laughs> i really love the boho dance i mean are there some questionable lyrics in it yes i'm not going to get into what she says because there's a very questionable get and into it no come on line. i'm get not into gonna, it i know I'm not going to say what she says, but it's like a very ignorant thing to say. And especially how we go back into saying how classic rock artists, I know Joni isn't classic rock necessarily, but she's like artists that I just categorize into that entire bunch. So I think like they're all supposed to be progressive at this time. And this is just her saying that is just the antithesis of progressive. There is no need to even say that. I mean, come on, girl. I don't know if we should say to viewers who don't know what we're talking about, we're meant, there's a certain word that she says, which neither of us are going to say, um, that is, it has a deep-rootedness of offensiveness. It's not- Yes, it's highly offensive. Highly offensive, yeah. And it's, you know, there was no need. There was absolutely no need to say that. Like, that, I don't know why she said that. And also, yeah, like, saying why. the word- like affectations afterwards is like I I don't know again it's just so distasteful and it's like she's what she's in her mid-30s here almost 40 she knew better she knew better this is not some 16 year old girl like saying this she is like a grown adult she knows better she knows if they had cancel culture around this time she would have been canceled she would have been like yeah yeah, it's bad for Joni, but you know, she did it to herself and we're not gonna praise They would have been her hosting her on Fox News. They would have been. She would have been on Tucker Carlson's show. <laughs> he's off. Yeah, he's off, but she would have been a special guest before Who else you know, won? Who else was thinking we won that day? That was a win for the girls. <laughs> that was a win for the gays, the yeah. gays and the girls. Okay, we won't talk politics. We can't talk politics. Yeah, we won't talk politics. But outside of that, just outside of those some of those ignorant lyrics, I think the sentiment of the song is very beautiful because um I think it's supposed to be about people who told Joni she was selling out because again, we're talking about abandoning her audience. Before before she, like the jazz stuff, she was a known as a folk artist. I know she doesn't think she was a folk artist, obviously, but that's that's what she was known as. So when she starts making albums like Court and Spark and Hissing, she starts drawing away from that audience and people start saying she's she's selling out a little bit. And I think this song is almost a response to that because she's saying like, um, even though she's like um, moving away and like she's exploring new sounds, it doesn't mean she's selling out. It's just how like artists progress in a way. And she's also talking about like, in terms of wealth and poverty, a lot of people that see like artists not in poverty, sometimes they look down upon them just because like being an artist, like the vow is like, you know, you live like a life of poverty or like not necessarily poverty, but it's like a lot of artists are struggling to like sell their music and stuff. So she feels like, or like art and like paintings and sculptures. So she feels really guilty that like she is the one making all this money it relates to her free in that but she's saying like even though she's you know run into wealth and everything she's still pure in a way it's like those things have never actually defined her um like even money and stuff like jesus was a beggar he was rich in grace and solomon kept his head in all his glory jesus maintained his purity and grace while being poor and solomon was like praised and admired for his like even though he had fortunes like he was a good king I think that's like a biblical story. 
Yeah, no, I agree. And I think that like the concept of like the boho dance is like, I saw it as like the boho dance. It's like the mainstream and she's trying to, t- and she doesn't see herself as a part of that dance. She sees herself like stepping outside of the boho zone and doing her own thing. You know, I guess the boho would be like, what, like boho, like hippies or like that sort of like scene and like, yeah, you know. And then she, I mean, she says at the end of the song, these streets were never really hers. She never really was a folk singer in her head. She never really was this bohemian singer like they saw her. She's her own, you know, she's someone that's way more unique than that. She's too broad to label her as just a a, a folk artist. You know what I mean? And I still wouldn't, I hate, I hate when I see people label her as a folk artist today. They still do, but she's not. Yeah, she's not. She experiments with so many sounds in her music. Like there's rock, there's jazz, there's new wave. There's so much more than just folk. Like, yes, at the beginning of her career, she used a lot of acoustic guitar, but here the acoustic guitar isn't even like the main focus of the album anymore. It's not even the main instrument being used. She has a whole backing band here. Yeah. And, you know, in my opinion, at least, I think this is better than her albums with just an acoustic guitar because everything like blends together so well here. Oh, yeah. And yeah, it reminds me a lot of her Free and For the Roses and Judgment of the Moon and Stars. Like, I feel like this song relates so much to it because of like what you were saying. Yeah. Maybe that needs to be like her next compilation album, like Artistic Integrity, and it'll be those songs <laughs> for free. <laughs> Boho Zone, Judgment of the Moon and Stars, um, Taming the Tiger, we can throw in there. Um, <laughs> Maybe even Passion Play a little bit. I mean, I guess that's about the play. eggs on oil spill, but still, um, it relates to that. Dancing Clown. Like, Dancing Clown, her greatest <laughs> song of all time. Shut the fuck up. I <laughs> like Dancing Clown. I will. I will. Hey, I like it too. That's one of my favorites on Talk to my death. Um, but yeah, the I I the boho dance is is a good. I like the piano on it. It's pretty. Yeah, I don't well, know. If other it's than that, I don't... oh, I think she. I think there's two people that play piano on this album. I should have wrote it down, but someone plays an electric piano, and she just plays the regular piano. Okay, okay, mother. It's someone in the LA Express playing the electric piano. Oh, okay, okay, interesting. Um, can we talk about my? maybe favorite song in the album without spoiling my oh my god the next song yes. is harry's house and then centerpiece slash centerpiece but it's mainly harry's house um this song is one of my favorite Joni mitchell songs of all time call me crazy i have always this even when i was just getting into her and i only knew like if i knew at max 10 Joni mitchell songs this was one of them and I loved this song so much. It's a, it's such a portrait of marriage. It's a portrait of consumer culture. It's a performance of kind of, I think this song also maybe has like the wife standing up to him, you know, and she's yelling yes. at him, like, when you be home, Harry, I said, get down off there. When you be home, Harry. <laughs> like, <laughs> and it's just, oh, and the lyrics in the song are fucking brilliant. Oh, they are. They're so good. I mean, talk about like probably the the focal point or like the central point of the album. I think that's this. Like, I think this is a song that defines the album the best. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, we start with the plane landing and like the instruments in the background, too. I think that is so cool. It's one of my like, again, one of my favorite moments on this album is that part. And like, I love how we go into the city and she starts like describing 
the entire scene in this man I feel like I get this vibe that he's like gonna have an affair on his wife a little bit or like that he wants to because of like he looks at the models and he can't like stop looking away from them and I also like how like like the biblical references in this too are cool like she starts by like the yellow schools of taxi fishes and then Jonah in the ticking whale I mean I don't know like I'm not entirely familiar with like Christian imagery or like biblical uh stories but like I know a little bit about Jonah and the ticking whale I mean Jonah and the whale why I started saying the lyric again well, but, he gets swallowed by the whale and yeah I think that she's saying that Harry is becoming swallowed by the city and the city's businessman yeah. culture in a way exactly and if you love the I, helicopter landing, you may like the intro to today's episode. <laughs> You'll love the intro to today's episode. I don't want to flex you guys, but I really popped off on that one. Um, the guitar is mine. I did not fly a plane, so that is not my plane landing sound, but you know. This song reminds me of Mad Men. I don't know if you've ever watched that show, but it's like six like 60s businessmen. And like this is... I, I don't know this song reminds me so much of that I mean I don't know it's a little off topic but still yeah I also think oh, <laughs> sorry no I was gonna um I really like um the line a helicopter lands on the Pan Am roof like a dragonfly on a tomb that is so cool um and there's a really funny Joni loves this song and she performs it throughout her entire career. And one of the times she performs it is in the 90s on the Rosie O'Donnell show. And she says, um, a, a dragonfly, a dragonfly lands on the helicopter roof. And then she's like, uh, and she's like, like she like re she's like realizing that she got the lyrics wrong. And then she's like, um, oh, a helicopter land. <laughs> like she like it like comes back to her. <laughs> and she's on live TV and she's like, shit. <laughs> It finally clicks for her. Yeah. No, and she does that like smile where she's like, oh, I almost messed that up. <laughs> oh, fuck. Yeah. I also like the lyric about like the paper minded males uh, and like how like their wives, like their paper wives and their paper kids. I think it like again feeds into the decadence of man and how their lives are like centered around making more money and like how like it's filled with bills and checkbooks. But I also think it's like a, a double entendre because like it kind of makes like paper minded kind of makes you think someone of like either two dimensional or kind of dumb. I feel like that's how she, like what she thinks about that entire culture of businessmen and marketing. Well, I think it's more that the family is less of a family and rather just an object. It's that nuclear family. It's that just like, you know, yeah. it's, not, it's nothing more than just a paper. You like you said, two dimensional service. There's nothing deeper in the marriage. You know, the wife is lost in house and gardens magazine you know, she's yeah. living out her world in magazines while he's at business conferences, you know, like far away. And um, yeah. And do you want to talk about, so she does, so like, you know, Joni does this a few times in her albums, but she will do this thing where she splices open a middle section to put something in, whether it's an instrumentational thing or, you know, whatever. And here she puts in um, another cover we have another cover, yes, of um another um Hendrix and Ross song, um, which who did um Twisted. And um it's centerpiece. And I really love it. And like, what are your thoughts on it? I mean, I think it's so cool because for me, centerpiece has always been kind of like a dream, like like a little dream sequence in the song, just because it starts with how he sees her body oiled and tanned at the public swimming pool, and maybe like both of them kind of get lost into this daydream. 
I think it's him that kind of gets lost into it because he starts thinking about his wife and when they first met and how great everything was and how they were like, I'm going to sacrifice everything for you. Like, I'm going to sacrifice my dreams for your like life. And so you can live out like your happiest and like, but like the wife doesn't actually think about herself. And I think like when she's saying, Harry, get down off of there, like that's her kind of pulling him out of like this daydream or like this reality. And then he's like back into the world and he's like, oh, like this is how things actually are now. And like these two worlds, like the home and garden and like the offices is kind of have kind of like made them to have such disconnect in their marriage. But the centerpiece, like that entire part is so cool with how jazzy it is. And I think it fits the song so well. And it's just so genius for her to like have added that there because at first I didn't know it was like an interpolation or like a sample or something. So I was like, I've heard this before. And then like you actually, I actually like listened to Centerpiece and I was like, wow, like I've heard this a bunch of times growing up. Yeah. So yeah, it's really cool that she added that there. Well, I think he's realizing during this daydream sort of like, he's realizing that the wife is kind of the centerpiece of their marriage. And, you know, like there's kind of nothing besides that. Like there's this one centerpiece holding them together. Also, oh my gosh, I know I keep saying the word orgasmic, but when when it goes from like her body oil and shining at the public swimming pool, and then all of a sudden it goes into this like, da-da, da-da. Yes. There's these like melodic, like siren-y, like Harry, Harry, Harry. Like those are so cool. And then of course yes. I love the way it fades out with like, why don't you be home, Harry? I said, get down off there. Why don't you be home, Harry? <laughs> Yes, that part is amazing. Oh, so good. And then obviously the final verse is such a like, kind of like the wife, like getting back at him, like shining as she reeled him in to tell him what she did today and just what he can do with Harry's house and Harry's pay. Like, that's so funny. That is really funny. Yeah, again, that feeds into how she is like the centerpiece of the relationship, I guess, because everything's kind of going to her. She's like spending all his money. Yeah, she's like, oh, I'll tell you what you can do with your house and your take-home pay. You can spend it on me, fucker. Yeah, I, oh my God, it's so good. And like, okay, I guess we probably should mention that Harry Styles named his album Harry's House. Yes, and it's nowhere as good as the song at all, okay? This, this song, song is like, the yeah, whole this album. song is perfect. <laughs> yeah, like in that album, not one thing on that lives up to the song. Yeah, well, one album of the year, didn't it? Yeah, but no one agreed with that besides his fans. Should have been Renaissance. It should have, right? Beyonce deserved it, but we won't get into that. No, okay. I guess not. This is one of those men that's profiting off Joni, okay? He's like Brandy Carlisle. First off, if he was going to call the album Harry's House, why didn't he like do a cover from Hissing of Summer Lawns or something? At least like be more, and I don't even think that there were lyrics on there that even referenced it. So, there like, wasn't. The album wasn't conceptual at all like this <laughs> no he tried <laughs> he tried and he failed miserably well ha- we've all seen the video of him seeing big yellow taxi oh unfortunately we have that's one of the worst Joni mitchell covers ever <laughs> i'm sorry but it is it's a mess it is messy um <laughs> yes um i love harry's house um but we we have two, two more tracks left do you want to start with sweet bird Yes, oh sweet bird. This is another great Joni Mitchell song. I think this might be the most underrated on the entire album. I feel like this is one of the ones that like people don't talk about enough at all. Yeah. I enjoy how the song like builds up to the first lines because the piano or like the acoustic guitar, they start like so far off in the background. 
And then as she's about to start singing, they get louder and louder and louder, or like the music just does in general. And I think it's like just beautiful how it builds like that. Um, to me, this song has always just been how we get like so caught up in our lives. And like suddenly we're so far, like so far past like these moments that like we wished for, we wished for. And then like, I don't know, she lays down golden in time and she woke up vanishing. I feel like that's supposed to be like, one day you, you're a child and then you wake up and suddenly you're an adult and you're like, well, wow, where'd all this time go? And I think yes. it's such like a beautiful song. And I just want to say the 22 remaster, you can't hear the piano as well on the original one. Like the, just the standard version of Sweet Bird from the seventies. But the 22 remaster makes the piano so much more like overt or like omnipresent in the song. You hear it so clearly and it makes me love it even more. Like it sounds even more like, like kind of like sensual or like vulnerable yeah i think that this is one of the more inward this is probably the most inward song in this album and i think maybe this song is kind of culminating everything a little bit because it's saying like no matter all these material goods these bad marriages yada 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 like in the end we're all gonna age and we're gonna age out of our you know the only thing that we all share is the thing that we're all gonna grow up and we're all gonna eventually die like there's this like no matter how much money you have or how many objects you own or how bad your marriage is, you know, time runs out, you know, that sweet bird of youth will eventually fly away, which is so like, yeah. it's so sad, but it's honestly like so beautiful, like beautifully written. Like, and I love when she says like, give me some time. I feel like I'm losing mine. That's, oh my God. That's like, yeah. So Aw, it is so sad. I mean, then, then in terms of like how like you're saying about the materialism thing like that aspect of the song and how like we get so caught up in it that's why it also reminds me of moon at the window from wild things run fast because i feel like that song has like a very similar sentiment of like rejecting materialism and just like being content with what's around you and i think this one does too and yeah. that's why i think this makes me so emotional i don't know why but this is like the song on um hissing that gets me like the most emo it's it's probably the most sad song i think on hissing it is it like really makes me think of like life especially now that I'm like 21 I know that's not that old but like <laughs> like you're just like I just think back on life because like yesterday I was in high school and like things were so simple and now I'm just like oh no girl you're I'm acting old. like you're 90 you're like oh, <laughs> I see this I, song I can't I'm like an 85 year old gay man so leave me alone we both are <laughs> yeah we are a little bit I guess liking Joni Mitchell yeah um also, I like that she kind of at the song, she kind of reiterates that like everything is just kind of based on time and change. Like, you know, everything is just time and change. Like there's nothing more. And then like she breaks it down, like all these things are just time and change. And then on the next song, she breaks it down into even simpler terms of just shadows and light, you know, like it's like she's yeah. like by the end of the album, stripping all this material goods away into the final, you know, like all that's left yeah like oh my gosh I love that part like how like she says guess it's based on what he said of time and change is touching like she kind of says it's not like so fast or it's not as melodic but I don't know I love that part a lot yeah yeah it's a beautiful beautiful song like more people need to talk about it it's actually a really good song right and it's not a cover someone called this a cover on Twitter the other day this is not a cover people covered this song afterwards but this is the original Joni wrote this she composed it okay what moron called it a cover Okay. Um, I'm so sorry. I'm dead. Um, okay. Well, do you want to go on to the closer of this album? One of her weirdest closers, I would say. Yeah, especially because I I guess it's not completely acapella because there's like that little 
what is it? I looked up what instrument that was that like kind of plays in it or like it sounds buzzy and it said that it was an ARP Farisva. I don't know what that Farisva is. Farisva organ to a, um, yeah. and it's hooked up to a synthesizer. Yeah. I mean, I think this song is really interesting. Honestly, this was one of my least favorite Joni Mitchell closers ever for a while. But after listening to this for about a week, it's kind of grown on me a lot and I really like it. I mean, I think it's like cute. Um, I don't know. There's not like too much I have to say about this song because I think it's supposed to be about like how like light and evil kind of struggle in the world and how men are capable of such bad things, but also such good things at the same time. And yeah, I think it's an interesting concept, but it's kind of like the least, it, it used to be like the least interesting song for me. Um, yeah, see, I really love this song. I really love the um the deeper, like philosophical, philosophical, yes, philosophical. I like the philosophical <laughs> kind of things that she's getting at here. Um, and each verse she picks at a different thing. First, she's talking about this mythical devil, then she's talking about this mythical god, and then at the end, she reflects it back on just man itself, which can either be wrong or right, it can either be shadow or light, it can be good or bad. Um I also love how she talks about like prescribed standards or the own ideals we fight. Like everything that we believe about morality is not from a God or from a devil. It's from our own ideals that we've written throughout history. You know, that's what it's based on. You know, it's just based on, on man. We kind of decide everything, you know, um, man of the laws, the ever broken laws. Like we make these laws and we break them, you know, there's a duality of man. We govern what is wrong and right. I feel like I'm yeah. like Plato or something. Uh <laughs> no, I think that's so true. I think it's really cool too. Now that like you say that as a conclusion to this album, because since it's such like a philosophical piece, thinking about like humans and where we've been, what we valued, and like how it relates to like I like how first of all, like she like there's so many, there's so much like biblical imagery in this song. And I think it's like scattered so much through this album. Where I feel like that's one way where it ties everything up really well, but also just like the whole album is like examining like man, like man, what like at least just in Western society, man's ideals or like their values, like materialism, nuclear families, and like like oppressing women and like other types of people. And I I think that that's why the song is I I've, I mean I've noticed I liked it even more because it just in terms of concluding the album it really ties up everything so nicely and it really makes you think and I feel like that's what an album closer should do especially on an album like this and since it is like a commentary on America at the time I think it should make you think and it should ask a question it should be like kind of philosophical and I think that that's why this album is just so perfect to me because it really makes you think about America or like who you are or who society is yeah. Yeah. It's a great, it's a great album that reflects a mirror back on society. I agree with you. I agree with you. Um, okay. Well that's Hissing of Summer Lawns. Um, I said that I would rate this album a 10 out of 10. I'm assuming you would also rate this a 10 out of 10. Yes. Uh, this is like easily one of my favorite Joni Mitchell albums. I mean, I'm not going to spoil my ranking yet, but this is very high up and yeah, there's so much to love about this. Yeah, it's an amazing album. Um, what's your favorite song on the album? Mm, okay, so I I know I never pick one, but my favorite is probably Shades of Scarlet Conquering. But I also love Edith and the Kingpin and Sweetbird a lot. We have no, we have no crossover. Huh. We have no crossovers. No, I picked two. I said Hissing of Summer Lawns and Harry's House. 
Yeah, I wanted to put Harry's house, but I knew you were going to pick it, and I wanted to give Sweetbird something. <laughs> give her something, yeah. Um, my least favorite I said was Shades of Scarlet Conquering. What did you say is yours? Um, honestly, it's so hard for me to pick a least favorite because I really like it's all of shadows them. and light. Just, just it's okay. No, no, because I really like shadows and light now. But if I had to pick a least favorite, maybe that would be it. Yeah. You don't have to love that song. It's, you know, it's not for everyone. <laughs> no, no, I do. After re-listening, I really like it. Oh, okay. I believe, <laughs> I believe you. Okay, well, yeah. Um, I love Hissing of Summerlands. This was so much fun to, like, re-listen to it. I mean, I re-listen to it a lot, but, like, I haven't analyzed it this way before. Yeah. It's, it's been exciting. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I think we both realized a lot more about the album on this re-listen than we have, like, <laughs> in the past, like, what, year or so of listening to it, so. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, and it's not a climate change album. It's not a climate change album, no, and if anyone calls that, <laughs> I'm gonna mass report you. Yeah, stop, <laughs> we're gonna dox you. <laughs> we're gonna dox you. <laughs> Just kidding, Al- allegedly, we're not gonna do that. <laughs> Get the lawyers <laughs> online, yeah. Um, No, it's not, I think it's, yeah it's not that type of album but um it's a great album um yeah i don't know do you have we're gonna go to hajira next week it's gonna be insane buckle buckle up yes that's gonna be a long episode guys yeah get ready for crying i have a feeling i'm gonna be sobbing mental breakdowns probably the word orgasmic (laughs) on every song (laughs) on every song i yeah i don't know how i'm gonna pick a least favorite honestly yeah, I don't know how I will either. Yeah. Well, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm do you have anything else you want to say? Thank you. Just thank you for listening and yeah, hissing is such a great album. It's a masterpiece. Yes. Thank you guys so much for n- listening and we will see you next time on Hajira. Yes. Bye. Yes. Bye.